Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. You are going to be blessed. Listen, I want you to set your DVR or whatever you have to do because we're going to say some things in the next couple of weeks that I believe are going to be revolutionary. Uh, I have on the set with me today a very special guest. Uh, I have read some of his materials, but uh, I'm, I'm going to introduce him in just for a moment. He's going to be with me for several weeks worth of broadcasting, so you don't want to miss it. He is an author. Uh, on the set with me today is uh, John Noe. It's good to have you on the set with me, uh, John. Good Good, uh, and uh, just to give you a brief bio, John is the president of Prophecy Reformation Institute, a conservative evangelical scholar and a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, where John has presented 17 theological papers on eschatological reformation issues. He holds an earned Ph.D. in theology from the Trinity Theological Seminary and the University of Liverpool with distinctions. He's the author of several trade-published books, including Unraveling the End, a balanced scholarly synthesis of our competing and conflicting end-time views. And we're going to talk about that uh, book and a lot of things in that book uh, uh, on this program. He wrote one called The Greater Jesus, The Perfect Ending to the World, Off-Target, several other books that you can get by going to Amazon.com. I encourage you to go get these books. I've read several of his books. This guy has said some things that I've uh, uh, that that have helped me to understand some things about eschatology. And uh, I read some of his books that are no longer in print. But we have recently uh, become friends, and I uh, I've asked him to be on a program. John is also a screenwriter, an award-winning entrepreneur, and a past 20-year member of the National Speakers Association. Uh, he's been featured on numerous TV programs. Programs, uh, and radio, including CNN's Larry King Alive and CBN's 700 Club. He's climbed mountains around the world and lives in Indianapolis with his wife Cindy, who was a former state representative. It is good to have you on the set today, John, and I welcome you. Uh, well, what we're going to begin to share, you know, those of you who've been following our ministry for some time, We've set the stage with several weeks of uh, teaching some things from the book of Revelation. You, you can go back, by the way, to YouTube and get any of the things that we have shared up to date. If you miss something on today's program, you can go back and watch it again on YouTube simply by going to YouTube and Googling my name. But John, the reason, one of the reasons what really uh, caught my attention about John is he's probably closer to what I believe about some of the end times than anybody else I've come across because... People call in and they ask us, well, what are you? And they try to pigeonhole us with either being a preterist or a, uh, you know, a post-millennialist or some of these things. But uh, we really are kind of a, a synthesis of some of those things. And so, uh, you know, uh, for instance, uh, there's some things that some preterists believe that, uh, th that are also cessationists. They believe the gifts of the Spirit stopped and stuff like that. And I know that's not a direction we're going to go, but we don't believe that. We believe the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit is still very relevant today. We believe the kingdom of God is still uh, very relevant today. But we really felt like we needed to come on and talk about some things that have to do with, uh, uh, you know, this end time fiasco and this synthesis of how to blend, uh, you know, just the right balance of there's some truth. In other words, we're not trying to fight anybody else. We believe that every camp has some kind of truth. And if we could just glean what is biblically there and their strengths and their weaknesses, 
verses, then I believe that would uh, help make some clarity come to this. And so, John, I welcome you. I'm going to let you do a lot of talking because I appreciate some of the things you're saying. It's good to have you on the program today. God bless. Go ahead, say something. Very well said. Very well said. And uh, a heartfelt uh, feeling, I'm I'm sure. and this whole field of eschatology, uh, what the theologians call eschatology, ology being the Latin suffix for study of, and eschatos meaning last thing, this whole field of end time prophecy or eschatology is a mess. Yeah. And, and just to give uh, an example, uh, time and time again, over and over for 19 centuries and counting, for example, uh, leading spokespersons of the church have uh, been predicting Jesus' so-called second coming and return and it hasn't taken place yet. Yeah. It's a humiliation factor. Yeah. Uh, and added to that humiliation is the fact that eschatology, or end-time prophecy, by, uh, is termed by Christianity Today magazine in one of their recent articles, uh, one of the most divisive elements in recent Christian history. Few doctrines unite and separate uh, Christians as much as eschatology. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Yeah. Others have called it, by the way, this is my latest uh, paper that I presented at the Evangelical Theological mm-hmm. Society, and so I told them this, and, and then I said, and said some of you dec- uh, think that eschatology, or end-time prophecy, is a war zone comprised of four armed cap- camps, which you just mentioned, uh, a highly complex subject, uh, one filled with disagreement, and a variety of uh, complex theories. Some think it's a minefield. You know, when you walk through a minefield, <laughs> one false step and you get blown away. Yep. Uh, so this lack of consensus has led to the amillennialists saying the postmillennialists are wrong. The postmillennialists say the amillennialists are wrong. The premillennialists say everybody's wrong and we're right. And few people realize that there's a fourth comprehensive view of the fulfillment of end time prophecy called the preterist view, which leads to the startlement of so many people that all these things actually happened 1900 years ago. Exactly. Uh, and so, so let's, let's talk about those just yeah. a little bit. So we have the, the dominant view uh, in uh, evangelical Christianity today, of course, is the dispensational premillennial view. Mm-hmm. And they believe that uh, all these end time prophecies, including Jesus' second coming or return, the final judgment, uh, the resurrection of the dead ones, and the consummation of uh, redemptive history uh, will soon be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, real soon. Yeah. And then you have the amillennial view that takes a partial fulfillment view of what happened in the first century during the Jewish Roman War of AD 66 through 70. You say, well, that was a partial fulfillment of some of these things. Mm-hmm. But the future final fulfillment, nobody can know yeah. when that can happen. So it could happen in the next second. It might not happen for another thousand years or, mm-hmm. or even even more. And then you have the pre, uh, post-millennial view, which also takes a partial fulfillment uh, look at what happened in the first century, but, but says that the final fulfillment is way off because the kingdom has got to advance. The world has got to get gooder and gooder. Now, I know that's not good English, but it's great theology. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it has to get gooder and gooder. And we're, and we're a long way from that before Jesus, so Jesus can't come back because it's not good enough yet. Mm-hmm. And then there's the preterist view of precise past fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Did it all happen back when Jesus said it would happen and the New Testament writers as they were guided by the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, expected it to happen and it didn't mm-hmm. happen. Big, huge problem. So. Uh, Louis Burkhoff 
in his, in his famous book in 1937 called The History of Christian Doctrines, which I talked about a little bit in my paper mm -hmm. for the ETS people, uh, calls eschatology one of the least developed doctrines in the church. J. Dwight Pentecost says there has been little attempt to synthesize the whole field of prophecy and there is a great need for a synthetic study. Mm -hmm. That has never happened in church history, yep. according to these. That is a synthetic study. Yes, yeah, a synthesis, a synthesis yes. of the different views. Mm -hmm. That has never happened in church history until now. Yeah. That was the uh, subject of my doctoral dissertation. And the book that you mentioned, the first one, uh, Unraveling the End, mm -hmm. is based upon that. And I had to prove that claim to my doctoral committee by going through a literature review and, and testing against them. And I had three dispensational premillennialists uh, on my doctoral committee. So it was not a friendly audience, <laughs> as you can yeah, yeah, probably yeah. Uh, imagine. Uh, so that's, uh, let's get into that a little yeah. bit. So, so here, here was my premise. I and, think, and, you know, before you do, I think that you get ready to go for your print, but I think the reason people have stayed away from it is because it is so divisive. And they've, they've been afraid to, and, you know, even most, you know, there's probably even a lot of people that have watched us and they, they just embrace one view because that's all they've ever heard. I don't even know there's more. That was me for years. I didn't know there was only one, one view. And when I began to see the things that we're talking about, and especially your synthesis part, um, that helped me uh, to put some pieces together. So, you know, uh, the, I really appreciate some of that that you're saying about that because, you know, what happens is, uh, again, people are scared too. I have had some letters written to me that says, you know, boy, you're jumping into this minefield of eschatology. You know, you've got some guts. But we're just, we're just trying to share an alternative view. You, you, you've got the, you know, you've got the prerogative to eat the grapes, spit out, uh, you know, the seeds, whatever. But uh, just consider the possibility of some things we're saying, and I believe it'll open your heart to some things. Go ahead. Well, well so many people, Lynn, have, have considered eschatology to be a fringe issue mm -hmm. or an appendix to Christianity, mm -hmm. and and what this other stuff is more important. Yeah. Well, the eschatology, the study of last things, is is the study of the completion of God's plan of redemption. Yeah of God's plan of salvation. Yes. So if this is not complete yet, how much do we have now? Yeah. Well, the different views, depending on which view of the four you take, your answer will be entirely different. Some will it, say some, some will say, well, a lot, and others will say most, and, and one view says all. Yeah. So who's right? Yeah. Okay. So my premise in, in the synthesis of views, uh, first of all, was God is not the author of our confusion. Mm -hmm. Now, I got that from the Bible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, I mean, I didn't make that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 33. Uh, but we are the ones yeah. who have muddied the waters yeah. with all our different type of interpretations, mostly adding and subtracting from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a place in the Bible, I think you know where it is, yeah. where it says you shouldn't do that. Right. And that's in the last chapter of the book of right, Revelation. Right, you right. probably mentioned yeah, that yeah, a few I, times. Yeah. But that's what we've done. And there's just so many examples of where we've added and subtracted things that are not in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, my second premise was that each of the four major views, again, the, the dispensational, premillennial view, the amillennial view, the postmillennial view, and the preterist view, each of those focuses on the second coming or return of Christ as the pivotal central and controlling event. Mm -hmm. And all the other uh, end time 
uh, events mm -hmm. are attached to that happening. Mm -hmm. So my second premise was, if we get that one right, then all the rest of them will fall in line. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll find that how we get that one right be a little bit shocking yeah. to you. And my third premise is this, that each one of those views has strengths and weaknesses. Yep. That can be identified by a simple hermeneutic of what does the Bible say and not say. Mm -hmm. Not, what do you think this means? Yeah. Or, well, this is what my pastor says. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, well, I've always felt that. No, just what does the Bible say and not say? And again, this is part of the adding and subtracting. For example, let me give you a couple of quick examples. What does the Bible have to say about an end of the world or an end of time? Nothing. Nothing. What does the Bible have to say about a future seven-year period of tribulation? Nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And it goes on and on and on and on. And so it's these traditions of men which make the Word of God a little no effect mm -hmm. that have plagued this whole field of eschatology. Mm -hmm. Hello, red flag. Yeah. So, yeah. Some, something's wrong here. So my solution will be this. All right, if each one of the views has strengths and weaknesses, they've grasped a portion of the truth, but they've added a portion of error, then my solution will be a solution of synthesis. That's where this comes from. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we must do is we must discard, get rid of all those weaknesses and additions and subtractions. They're gone. They're out of here. Yep. We don't want to fool with, with, the, with, with synthesizing those. Mm -hmm. And we, but we keep the strengths from each one of the four views and synthesize or unify them into one meaningful, coherent, and consistent uh, view that is much more Christ-oriented, oriented, uh, mm -hmm. more scripture-authenticating and faith-validating than any one view in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Which okay. brings us mm -hmm. to the great end-time fiasco. Mm -hmm. What is the essence of the great end time fiasco? Two key points. Number one, Lynn, the things that were supposed to happen didn't happen. Yep. As New Testament, Holy Spirit guided, Holy Spirit led, Holy Spirit told, expectations proved false. Mm -hmm. You know, I, just to jump in here a little bit, I was sharing with you yesterday at supper. Uh, I have uh, a copy of Newsweek magazine. I believe it's Newsweek. I'd have to be sure to look it up just to, if I'm wrong about which uh, publication it is, but I have a copy of it in my office uh, where they were, uh, I got it in, in the year 2000 when I was in, or I guess it was December of 1999, uh, I was in Canada and it was all the Y2K hype, the dates were set again. And uh, the, I read this article where they were discrediting the validity of the Word of God and discrediting the validity of Jesus' ministry and of Paul and of Peter and of John and all these guys because they said that, that these apostles believed uh, they were living in the last days. And even Jesus believed he was living in the last days. And so because it wasn't, at least in their viewpoint, then the Bible couldn't be valid because what else could you trust? But the, what, we're, what we're trying to say is it did happen exactly like Jesus said it happened. It happened just like the apostles said it happened, and we have history to kind of back that up. And you know, I'm sure people were just saying a few moments ago when you said, uh, well, uh, end of time is not in the Bible, they're probably thinking, oh yes it is, but it's not the end of time. It is the time of the end. And I know you're going to get into that later. But I Huge just, difference. Huge difference. That's exactly just right. Just reversing 
practicing those words yes, sir. makes a huge difference. That's adding and subtracting. And then we start adding all of these things that are extra biblical. We come up with extra biblical, even theological terms that are in there, and we end up with this fiasco. Here's so, a big one. Go ahead. We're coming into it. But, but let me just uh, comment on your Newsweek article. Mm -hmm. the, the revered C.S. Lewis called Jesus' statement in his longest and most dramatic prophecy, that called the Olivet Discourse, uh, uh, Luke uh, 13, uh, excuse me, Luke 21, uh, Mark 13, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, Jesus' verse in Matthew 24, uh, 34, mm -hmm. that verily, verily, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Mm -hmm. He called it, quote, the most embarrassing verse in the Bible. Lynn. Mm -hmm. And then he said, he called it an exhibition of error. That's, 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 that, do, that, do you that hear C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Longest Night in 1960? I got out all documented mm -hmm. and referenced here in the mm -hmm. book. Can you believe that? C.S. Lewis was saying Jesus was literally wrong? Well, that's what your Newsweek article is saying. Yeah, and they were saying that, you know, that they, he could not be a true prophet. No. Because he's prophecy failed. And, 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 and those, those embarrassing statements of Jesus, that he was, would return, come again, you know, in that, mm -hmm. in, that, in that first century time frame within the generation of his hearers, and the Holy Spirit-led expectations that he, indeed he would do that, has been the focal point of liberal skeptic attack on the Bible and on the deity of Christ. Mm -hmm. and see, that, that, that's why some of this stuff is important. And wasn't it one of these guys that said, what is it, how much of the scripture was it that was, I think I read this, I heard this in, uh, on one of your, uh, your lectures where you talked about how much of the Bible was uh, uh, actually had to do with eschatology. Uh, we don't realize how much of this really is involved in, do you, I don't know if you know it off the top of your head or not. but I do, here it is. Okay. How much is about, this is in my first chapter called Seven Reasons Why Your End Time View is, is So Important. Mm -hmm. And the first reason, number one out of the blocks, and you, you, you have a good memory by the yeah. way, I compliment you. <laughs> <laughs> How much of the Bible has actually evolved? According to R.C. Sproul, it has been argued that no less than two-thirds of the content of the New Testament is concerned directly or indirectly with eschatology. As much as 25 to 30 percent of the whole Bible is so concerned, so we are not dealing with the fringe issue. Lynn, we're talking about the completion of God's plan of redemption to save us. Absolutely. That's why I say the book of Revelation is the conclusion, the summary of redemption. You know, that's why we've been teaching 40 weeks, and I know it's a, <laughs> I know it's a landmine, but it has to be addressed, and it has to be something that is discussed among, I believe, even some uh, scholarly men, and that's one of the reasons I brought you on is because I believe people need to know that there is at least an alternative to a lot of the scary end-of-the-world stuff that we're constantly being dealt with that keeps on not panning out, and the dates keep on passing again and again, and we rewrite the books. We say, whoops, saith the Lord, we were wrong again, and uh, they come up with another book that's 10 years more in the future, and then that 10 years goes by, nothing happened again. At some point, somebody's going to wake up and say, even if we even if we get tomatoes thrown at us for what we're teaching, one of these days somebody's going to look back and say, "Hey, wait a minute here. Uh, you know these guys were consistently saying some stuff, and maybe we ought to take another look at this." I think right. that's where we're at. I think there's an interest in it. As we can, we'll continually see through these programs, we are dealing with failed prophets of a false premise. Yep. What is that false premise? Element number one of the great end time fiasco. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat it, then we'll get to number two. Okay. Things that were supposed to happen didn't happen as Holy Spirit-led, guided mm -hmm. expectations of the 
people who were used to write by inspiration the Bible prove false. Mm -hmm. So what has the... Or at least in their eyes it proves false, yeah. 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 So, so what has the church done? They have invented delay theory and said, well, all these things have been delayed mm -hmm. because we want to have more people saved. Mm -hmm. You know, so God's just put everything on hold. Well, you know, Lynn, Amos 3.7, the God does nothing uh, unless he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any prophet that God ever uh, revealed something to, uh, revealed a delay of his plan of redemption? Now, delaying the plan of redemption by 19 centuries and counting <laughs> is not a minor little deal. No, it's not. I, I mean, you would think that the Lord would at least, if that's, if that's true, would have you know, whispered in somebody's ear. Yeah, yeah. Do you know of any prophet? N not a one. Well, not one. Uh, here's, here's what the... the no, there's no gap. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing. Again, we invent a parenthesis theory. And that's what it is, a parenthesis theory that was invented. It is not biblically there. Do you know any prophet that talked about a parenthesis theory? Not a prophet, you know. I can't even say the word. It's so wrong, I can't yeah. even pronounce the word. Yeah. All, right. All right, here's what the uh, uh, quick, just a uh, short little paragraph of the dictionary of Bible prophecy and end times contains, says this about the delay theory. It says the term parousia, which you know is a Greek term that's used in uh, the Olivet Discourse uh, translated as coming. What will be the sign of your parousia? Mm -hmm. Coming and the end of the age. So forth. It says the parousia refers to the second coming of Christ. Oh really? Uh, we'll get to that mm -hmm. in a future program, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Uh, the delay of the parousia, or the coming, second coming of Christ, refers to the assumption by some, actually it's many, uh, New Testament scholars that the first generation of Christians, A.D. 30 through 70, believed that Christ would return before their deaths. You know, scholars are almost unanimous. Yep. In, 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 in recognize, and, and they say Christian scholars and non-Christian scholars, that the first century church, uh, inspired writers of the Bible, uh, believe that all these things would happen within their lifetime. And as C.S. Lewis says, well, they should, because that's what the, that's what the, the Messiah told them. Yes, <laughs> you know? Well, yep. duh. Yep. Um, when they didn't happen, i.e. the parousia was delayed, this is delay theory now, the early believers were supposedly thrown into a crisis of faith. The delay reveals God's patience and desire that many will come to repentance and faith. Well, what's the big problem with that? That God did reveal some other things to some prophets, mm -hmm. such as Habakkuk, 700 years then before Christ. Habakkuk 2.3, for the revelation awaits an appointed Time. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. There's an appointed, appointed time. time. And it speaks of the end. It would not prove false. Newsweek is saying it proved false. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis is saying it's proved false. It will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Mm -hmm. And the church has been preaching delay for 19 centuries and counting. Who do you think we ought to believe? The inspired prophet Habakkuk? used to write scripture mm -hmm. or the uninspired church saying, well, it's been delayed. Mm -hmm. We have another statement such as that in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25, and another one in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, where the writer of Hebrews says this, for in just a very, very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. By the and way, that's that, in direct relation. That's a direct quote from Habakkuk almost. That is. It? Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. he puts that word in the, in the literal Greek, mm -hmm. that word very is in there twice. It's a double intensification of nearness. And keep in mind, Jesus said it was the evil 
servant who said, my Lord, Matthew 24, mm -hmm. 42 through 51, who, who said, my Lord delayeth his coming. Has the church become, and we go, think about that, my, uh, the evil servant. Did I say that? I should have said that. Yeah, no, that's good. Has the church become a, the wicked servant yeah, yeah. In, in proclaiming that? Because again, Jesus said it is the, and, it's, and it was in a parable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Lord delay his coming. And that is right in the context of Matthew 24, right? When we're talking about these end time things is the wicked servant says, my Lord delays his coming. Well, that's the bad news. Mm -hmm. Now, in our next program, Let's, talk, let's begin to talk about the good news. Yeah. And what we want to talk about in our next program is what I call divine perfection in two creations. There are actually two creations. There's the physical, material creation, and then there's the covenantal creation. Mm -hmm. And in each one of these creations, our God, who's a God of order and design, created those with a plan, with a purpose, with a time frame, and with mathematical precision. That is the stamp of divinity. That is God's fingerprint. That is what I call divine perfection. And in our next program, let's pick it up there. Okay. Not any other book, of the, not any other book has such preciseness. Uh, one of the things that makes the Word of God so effective and the validness of prophetic word is the fact that prophets prophesied hundreds of years before it came to pass and then it came to pass just like they said. That's one of the stamps of divine fingerprints all over the Word of God is because when God spoke it, it came to pass exactly. Six times in Isaiah, the Lord says that, mm -hmm. that very thing. Mm -hmm. I tell what's coming before it happens. Yep. And that's what makes him God all by himself. And that's what makes him divine. And uh, we're going to continue to unravel these things. As you listen, I would set my DVR if I was you and not miss any of this because uh, I, you're going to hear some things that I think are going to help you put some pieces together. Because uh, we're, we're not going to talk about the end of time, but we are going to talk about the time of the end and when that was. And it may surprise you appointed. to know the appointed time of the end. And uh, it may surprise you to know that that's not in your future. It's behind you. That a lot of the stuff you're afraid of and you've been scared with and fear that's been de declared uh, is not in front of you. It's behind you. God is a victorious God. And uh, we're going to preach Him big and, uh, and we're going we're to magnify Him and His Word and see that it came to pass exactly like He said. Take a moment uh, to call that number on the screen and uh, become part of something huge. Get behind what we're doing. If you believe in what we're saying and sharing, uh, support the gospel as we continue to preach this kind of a message, uh, as we take the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of His finished work around the world. Tune in again next week. We're going to continue this conversation. God bless you for tuning in. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.